0: Good afternoon, everybody. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals, from Aardvarks to Zebras. It's our once-a-month program, our new time at 4 p.m. Uh, we are still in our lockdown mode, so we are recording the show, so no questions. You won't be able to phone in any questions this month, but this is a new topic, and as soon as I get into the um, into the station, then we'll able to do some live shows but until then we're using our zoom technology uh, which is uh, great I'm learning more and more about it everyone else knows more than I do so they help me out also remind you of my pet sounds at 730 on Sunday mornings two to three minute clip I'm doing new ones there's new entries into that Uh, so hopefully when you're up having your coffee Sunday morning listen to me for a couple minutes and let's get on with the show I have a a guest here that I've been wanting to to talk about for a long time, uh, dealing with 4-H. Carla Skokie. she's our 4-H youth development professional at Hancock County. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, John. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for coming. I well coming. Thanks for being on Zoom. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about how you got here from there, and what your job is, because that's a mouthful. That
1: yeah. So um, I started my career as an oceanographer, actually, so not immediately what people think of when they think of (laughs) 4-H, but I loved field research, and and through my research, I got into education, and I realized that's really where I felt like I could do the most impact and and give back, and I really loved working with young people, Um, and so I went on and did a bunch of different things in marine education. From there, I I lived all over New England and, and worked in almost every marine education program you could think of. Um, and I ended up in Maine and I decided, let me make this a little more formal. And I started um, a graduate program at the University of Maine in Orono um, in the master's in science teaching program. And Through uh, my graduate work, I had an assistantship with the University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Um, And in uh, what my assistantship was was to write curriculum for the 4-H Youth Development Program uh, in aquaculture. So it was the perfect meld of my background and my love for education. And I was getting this formal training. Um, And that assistantship, like many do, turned into a full-time job for me. Um, And I've been working... Um, for Humane Extension now for the past two and a half years in the Hancock County office um, in Ellsworth, so right here in, in our neck of the woods.
0: And 4-H, I think everyone recognizes 4-H. I think it's one of the largest organizations for the youth in the country. And But yes. we all, I think, is the, the most common recognition is the, the kids at the county fairs mm-hmm. walking their cows, grooming, polishing them, brushing their teeth, I mean, they, they do everything. And that's the main, I think that's the most common uh, impression. But it is so much, much more. And this is what I want to get into to have you give us uh, the lowdown on what all the things that 4-H does. Mm-hmm. But first, let's just, what, what does 4-H mean?
1: Excellent question. I'm really glad you started here. I would say that's the the most common question that we get asked, and I love answering it. Um, 4-H stands for head, heart, hands, and health, and it's sort of our catch line um, that represents the development outcomes for 4-H youth in our programs. So, for example, head can represent academic, vocational success, Heart is about community service, which is an integral part of 4-H programs. Hands represent not only doing things hands-on with your hands, but also employability and what those life skills you learn in 4-H can lead to um, as an adult. Um, And health, of course, is happiness and well-being. Um, And so I like to think of those as every, those are the cornerstones of all of our 4-H programs. They involve head, heart, hands, and health.
0: And- what, um, and so what is 4-H then? So we have yeah. this this concept of your your objectives of of the head, heart, hands, and health. But what is it? How does it achieve what it means?
1: Yeah, and this is um, you know, 4-H is is very extensive. There's so many opportunities. Um, so my sort of the the one line answer to that is that 4-H is the positive youth development program of the University of Maine. Uh, youth learn by doing. Uh, we're open to youth ages 5 to 18, so very broad range, basically. Um, and the youth build life skills by leading hands-on projects, um, and they can do so in lots of different areas. Um, agriculture, as you mentioned, is one of our um, focus areas, key areas. A lot of how the public interacts with 4-H youth through the fairs is uh, with youth in ag projects. Um, But we also have projects in areas like STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, um, healthy living, and community service. Um, And so through these projects, kids grow confidence, independence, resilience, compassion. These are all the things that we want to build in our youth, and 4-H is a place to do it. Um, And so it's a very broad answer, but another thing I like to tell people is, If you, you know, it's a great place for a young person who wants the opportunity to explore something they're excited about, um, because we, they can do any project through 4-H, and we kind of have a nice framework to help them work through a project. Um,
0: Sorry, do the, uh, once you, if if a youth is part of the program, they don't just work on one project. They can do science and agriculture and community service? Is that what they usually do? A lot of different things and then focus on one project in addition to that?
1: Yeah. I think, you know, like, like anything in the real world, uh, one, one thing, one focus area involves all of those things naturally. You know, it is by nature an interdisciplinary program because, um, you know, by, let's take an animal project for example what people see at the fair when a youth is walking their cow and grooming their cow is one piece of that project that that youth has been working on all year or for you know cumulative number of years um and they may have involved a lot of science so we have a great program um where kids working with cows can actually learn about GPS tracking, right? And so that's in partnership with one of our extension faculty who does that for his research as a a living. So um, that's a way that the science is involved in it. A lot of the youth do community service as part of their projects. So we have a lot of kids throughout the state who are working with food pantries if they're growing food and thinking about giving back from some of their agricultural products um, and, and, and healthy living is just in involved in all of that too. Um, some of, one of the projects that um, a group of our kids in Cumberland County have been working on during COVID is a, is a stress management for teens workshop. So that's some of the things, some of the ways that they give back and learn about healthy living. So, you know, one project can involve all of those things or someone, Um, can can just work on one project. They can just raise a cow. They can just do a robotics project. They can just grow a garden. You know, they can do one project, but it naturally involves all of those different areas, if that makes sense.
0: So it's not like they're, they're being forced to go into other areas. It's that their project, the, the volunteers kind of help them expand within that project.
1: Yeah. And a lot of those are youth led too. So, um, the volunteers, and I know we'll get into talking about volunteers, but the volunteers are often co-learning with the youth. And, uh, I would say one of the things that makes 4-H unique and really exciting for youth is that it's their program. It's, they are here to lead, you know, and, and choose their direction in the program. And that's one of the things that makes it really exciting for them.
0: Just go off track just a little bit before I talk about how you joined 4-H. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned University of Maine, Cooperative Extension, uh, is an integral part of 4-H, or 4-H is an integral part of Cooperative Extension. How did that marriage, and when did that marriage occur? I mean, how did that evolve?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, co- so Cooperative Extension is a nationwide system Um for all land grant universities, public universities across the country. And 4-H and Cooperative Extension married, so to speak, uh, a long time ago, in the 1900s. Um, And it is because Cooperative Extension System is funded by NIFA and USDA um, and 4-H was the rural agricultural program um, for youth. And so the USDA years ago recognized that that needed to be part of a federal nationwide program. So it needed to grow from a local uh, program. I think it started in Ohio, um, and it needed to be nationwide. And the cooperative extension system was the avenue for delivering the youth program Um on that scale, if that makes sense.
0: Um,
1: And so University of Maine, being our land-grant university for Maine, is where cooperative extension lies and therefore where 4-H is delivered.
0: So uh, you may not know this, so the the 4-H sought out the cooperative extension because that was a way of of expanding or...
1: Um, I, again, I'm I'm not an expert. There are experts in 4-H history, but the way I understand it is uh, USDA and Sorrel, sort of the agricultural federal programs m- more so sought out 4-H, and that's oh, okay. sort of when 4-H became a more organized program. Um, um, again, I would refer people, actually, if people just Google 4-H history, there's um, a really great preservation website that has a bunch of links and information. And people have written books about 4-H history. Um, But I I believe that's my understanding is that it became a more organized national program when there was an opportunity to go uh, to get hooked up with USDA and Cooperative Extension.
0: Okay. So we have listeners out there now that listening and thinking, gee, I have a five to Mm 18-year-old child. And maybe this is something that would be good for them. So, how do you join?
1: Yeah. So, one of the very cool things about 4-H, which I love and one of the reasons I work here and I love working here is because we have this nationwide program, but it's delivered very locally. So, um, it keeps things a little close to home and you have a community here. So, the place to go if someone's interested in joining 4-H is to go to their county cooperative extension office. So, Here in Maine, uh, there's an office for every county. Um, Some counties are mixed just because the geographic area is so close. Um, But you can contact your local extension office and just say, hey, I'm interested in joining 4-H. There is some paperwork, just like all youth programs, (laughs) there's paperwork. Can't get Um, away from it. Yeah, but there are no fees. So it is free to join 4-H. Some of our programs cost money if there's some materials cost, but to just be a member is completely free. Um, but there are different ways to join. And this is where I think sometimes it gets complicated for people. So i love this opportunity just to, to explain this. So there are different ways to join 4-H. Um, one is as a member of a, our traditional club. So this is the format that's been around for a hundred years is that youth organize in clubs based on their interest. So here in Hancock County, we have horse clubs, we have an outdoor education club, we have a homesteading club, you know, it goes on. So if they are interested in that topic, then you join a club with other kids who are also interested in that topic and a volunteer who has expertise or is willing to learn along with you. And that's sort of one way that kids are organized in 4-H. The clubs meet year-round, so it's a little bit of a longer-term commitment, which some people are looking for and some people aren't. So we have other ways to join if you're not looking for a long-term commitment like that. Um, And one of those other ways is a short-term program um, or what you might see online as referred to as special interest club. And this is a shorter term maybe you know two weeks uh, to six week program um, that 's not year long necessarily but it's it 's for a session or a series so for example, uh, we have knitting clubs that would fall under this category right where it's it 's a short term program um, they learn how to knit with a volunteer, another group of kids, and then it 's over six weeks later and we might run those you know several times during the year but Um, It doesn't require that long-term commitment to a project. Um, You can also join as an independent member. So what that means is a youth is not necessarily meeting in a club or a group setting, but they're working on an independent project at home uh, with their siblings or their household, um, and the parents are often the 4-H volunteers who are leading those independent projects. This is a really popular option for homeschool families. um, And it also allows um, those members to participate in any of our other programs and events. Um, And then lastly, the ways that people can um, experience 4-H is through in-school or after-school programs, um, which they don't need to be an enrolled member for. They can just experience a 4-H program if we're teaching uh, an activity in that library or an after-school program. and then they can also join um, one of our 4-H camp and learning centers around the state for summer camp. Um, so those are located in four different areas. We have four different camps. And again, you don't need to already be enrolled in 4-H to, to go to camp. That It's open to any youth. Uh, so it's kind of a lot, uh, <laughs> but it's why 4-H is so robust. We have so many different opportunities for people in different ways they can join and participate.
0: So the the independent, when uh, they're just on their own, you said the parents help with the projects or is there a volunteer, adult volunteer kind of supervising?
1: It depends. So I have, I work with a lot of parents who are the 4-H volunteers who are supervising. Um, but I, but there are also volunteers, uh, who help supervise other independents, um, just because, so for example, one of the ones that comes to mind is a volunteer who works with goats. So, um, she has the expertise of showing the goats, but she helps mentor other kids who are raising goats at home. They don't necessarily meet in a group, but they're mentored with that, uh, independent 4-H volunteer, if that makes sense.
0: Yes, it does. Um, this is Dr. John Hunt for huh, Let's Talk Animals from Hard Barks to Zebras and WERU in Orland. And we're talking to Carla Skokie, who is the 4-H Youth Development Professional for our 4-H program in the County of Hancock. And we are just talking about how you join 4-H, and if you do join, please. Uh, there's a, the famous 4-H project, uh, and that's the one I kind of think of with the, the young girl or a young man walking the big cow, that that's their project. I, I assume there's much more to that, so please fill us in on what a 4-H project is.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yes, um, there's a lot more, and uh, I'll start by saying the 4-H project's can vary, they can be anything. So, uh, one term that we throw out a lot in 4 H is a spark. So, a kid would have a spark about something that gets them excited. So, for that young girl or young boy that you see at the fair uh, with their cow, you know, that cow is something that gets them so excited. They're passionate about it, it's their spark. It's it gets what gets them up out of bed every day. So, that can be a lot of different things for people. So, Uh, we have a lot of robotics programs, we have gardening programs, uh, things like this, right, that there can be different sparks for different kids. So the projects generally um, have four elements I like to think of. One is their learning experiences. So this is like actually what they're learning. So if it's their cow, they're learning how to not only care for the cow and keep it alive, but uh, if they're going to show the cow later on, how to groom it, how to fit it, how to be, how to show how they need to be when they show the cow. So those are all like the actual things that they're learning. So that's definitely one element of the project. Um, Another element of 4-H projects is community service. So this can be in the form of a lot of different things, but the idea being here is how can I take what I've learned and share it, share my knowledge um, with my community or other people, or how can I give back? Um, And so there are a lot of different community service projects that 4-Hers do um, here in Hancock County. We have roadside cleanups. We have people growing vegetables for food pantries, uh, things like that. Um, But it can also be, community service can also be, I'm going to teach my peers about something I've learned, you know, and and that could count as community service. Um, And that kind of leads into the third element, which is leadership. So again, leadership can be a wide variety of things, but it is also in line with sharing knowledge and becoming a leader in your peer group, in your club, in your community. Um, So we've had different leadership pieces of projects like, taking ownership of a, uh, of an exhibit at the fair. So last year um, at the Blue Hill Fair, we had a group of kids learning about aquaculture and they took the leadership role of designing an entire interactive aquaculture exhibit for the public. Um, so, so that's an example of leadership being a piece of their project. Um, and that leads into the fourth element and final is the exhibit piece, um, so there's several ways for 4-Hers to exhibit projects, but the most common w- ways are in the 4-H exhibit hall at the Blue Hill Fair um, and then through livestock shows at the Blue Hill Fair too. So obviously the livestock shows are specific to people who are working on projects where there's they're showing animals, but the exhibit hall is sort of for everybody else who's worked on something um, and they're all different categories. Everything you can ever imagine is a category they can exhibit in. And then the Blue Hill Fair Association generously um, awards cash premiums for prizes. So it's similar to the adult exhibit halls. If people have seen those at their fair, uh, the 4-H ones are specifically for 4-H youth.
0: If a project is, doesn't fit agriculture, um, let's say it's way out someplace else. Are there other, venues they can exhibit other than a county fair
1: yeah so our yes and they can also exhibit at the county fair in the exhibit hall so some of our categories uh so robotics keeps coming to mind Um, shooting sports is another club that we have here in hancock county that, that they exhibit in the fair woodworking is a project um baking cooking um crafts, sewing, um, all those things can be exhibited. Um, And then if they, if they're not exhibiting in their county fair, they can exhibit in lots of different places too. So we have, for example, in Hancock County, we do a 4-H photo contest and those photos are exhibited um, very generously again by the Ellsworth Public Library. So every year they hang those photos up for us. Um, And so that's another public setting that kids can feel like proud of having their work uh, on display on exhibit. And that's a piece of building confidence as they're working through this project.
0: Has exhibiting uh, branched into the internet?
1: Well, certainly recently it has, more so than before.
0: (laughs) We'll Um, we'll talk about the COVID thing later. Yes, Um, yeah. Prior to COVID.
1: Yes, uh, I think uh, it had branched out certainly in the internet prior to COVID, and then now that COVID is here, people are branching out in finding digital ways to exhibit um, in ways that they could have done beforehand, but the situation sort of like warranted it, and um, it's working out really well, and it's actually really exciting. So,
0: so I so think that's going to be something that's going to stay in the 4-H.
1: Possibly, yeah, and I think, and I know. Y- 4-H has always been very forward-thinking. And I think that's because we're a youth-led organization because the youth are driving a lot of these things. And so they're always more ahead and on top of it than we are. So so that was true before COVID. It's true during COVID. And I think it's going to be true after COVID too, of course.
0: What kind of uh, direction, uh, review do the leaders do for the project? In other words, so they have to Does the 4-H person have to have periodic checks with the the leader to make sure, you know, because they could go off, as you know, any kid can go off track, and they may lose focus. So how do the leaders uh, keep them focused?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I would say, so first of all, we work with an extremely dedicated group of volunteers. I can't say... I I could talk over this whole hour that we have about how wonderful each one of our volunteers are, and um, so so one, they're extremely dedicated to what they're doing. Two, um, our volunteers have a lot of expertise and knowledge in their area. So I do not hold, you know, I'm the staff person that helps coordinate all of these people, but I do not hold the individual knowledge for every single for each project animals to robots, you know, in there. Um, so I rely on the volunteers and their expertise and knowledge. Um, one of the things we really focus on in 4-H is youth-adult partnerships. So it's a, it's sort of a, maybe different isn't the right word, but it's a unique lens to look at the relationship between a youth doing something and the adult who might be mentoring them. So it is more of a mentorship. It's a partnership. It's not the volunteer knowing everything and just passing on that knowledge to youth—that does happen, but it's—it it tends to be a lot more youth-led than that. Um, and often the volunteers are learning just as much from the youth. But that being said, we do have some frameworks in place that help kids keep, help keep kids on track, help keep volunteers, you know, on the same page as the program overall. Uh, one of those ways is through project records. So record keeping has always been a big part of 4-H. But um, throughout the year, if it's, if it's a year-long project, kids will um, keep records of what they do. So for an animal project, for example, they're keeping barn records. They're keeping track of costs and if they're going to sell their animal as a market animal they're certainly keeping track of that to figure out how much they would like to, that and you know to be paid for that animal or to have it auctioned off for um, and so those are all things that sort of help the, the records are sort of a physical thing a product that needs to be produced that helps keep everybody on track uh, if that makes sense
0: it, it does but what But if the uh, mentor – did did mentors have different influences on the project, really, depending on the individual and then the child? Sometimes it can be completely hands-off, and the uh, 4-H member is just doing great, and sometimes they just really don't know. They want to know about robotics, but they don't know anything about it. So the mentor becomes – more involved, right? So, so the project is the the volunteer is completely uh, situational in terms of how much they uh, contribute towards the project. Is that fair to say or?
1: Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think um, another way to think about it is our volunteers are volunteering because they usually are, they care about kids and they usually have some knowledge or expertise in some area to share. Um, and that can obviously spin off in lots of different directions. Um, but in terms of particularly with animal projects, I would say compared to some of the other projects, most of the volunteers who are helping kids with animal projects are farmers. They are producers. They are, you know, they have that expertise in those areas, Um and and some other projects are more about co-learning right so like A lot of the, uh, in the robotics club that we had here in Hancock County, I would say none of the volunteer leaders were experts in robotics. (laughs) Uh, The kids taught them more, but the volunteers really helped facilitate their learning. And that's what, that's true for any project, but some projects are more uh, on the cutting edge than others, I guess, so to speak.
0: (laughs) What happens if uh, someone wants to join 4H to hear about the projects and go, ah, I don't want to do this big project. It's going to last for years and it's huge. And so does that mean I can't join 4-H if I, can't, if I don't do a project?
1: That's a great question. I'm so glad you asked. So um, they, they can they're definitely join 4-H. So there is something for them. And that's where these short-term programs come in that may or may not be a project. Actually, it may be just a workshop. Um, it may be just learning about a topic, right? So I like to think of this in different categories. So 4-H, you can ex- we have clubs, which I've talked about. Those are the long-term ones. Then we have these programs. And the programs are things, um, like I'll give an example. We have a Kids Can Grow program, um, which happens every summer. And it pairs up a Master Gardener Volunteer, which is another adult volunteer program through Cooperative Extension Uh, It pairs up a master gardener volunteer with a youth to learn about gardening, and they build a raised bed, and they also work in a community garden, and all the produce goes to food pantries. So that's an example of a summer program. It's not, you know, a year-long or multi-year project. Um, We also, so because of my background in oceanography, I've been running aquaculture programs, so we've been doing those as short-term programs as well. We have another program, which I think some of your listeners will be interested to hear about, which is an egg business project. So kids who are interested in raising poultry and selling, starting an egg business. So we have a very robust egg business project um, with a great volunteer leader um, who is the small business development advisor here in Ellsworth. So it's a great program. Again, it's not year round. It's that one's a little more of a long-term commitment because you still have your, your business, but in terms of meeting with the kids, it's a seasonal program. Um, And then sort of the third category we have, so we have clubs, programs, and then we have events, uh, which these are like one-day things or three-day things where kids can experience 4-H at an event. So people come together. Um, One of the ones that we would have been doing this month, we've done it in a little different way this year since we can't be in person, but we run a Yeah, we do a June Jamboree every year at the Blue Hill Fairgrounds, which is a three-day over a weekend camping. And we have lots of different hands-on workshops that kids can sign up for from crafts to science to animals, you know, all different things. And this is a great way for people who are new to 4-H to experience 4-H to come do a one-day workshop and see other kids and maybe camp out if they want to, but they don't have to. And so we, so those are the event type things that we do too.
0: Do, do you sense uh, peer pressure amongst the kids to have kids do things that maybe they don't want to do? Or is it so free and easy that whatever a child, whatever 4-H kid wants, whatever they want to do, it's okay by the rest of the group?
1: It's pretty free and easy, honestly. Um, I think by the nature of organizing in the club setting, but because you're organized by your interest, it's sort of like everyone who gets together is interested in that. And so they're all kind of working towards the same goal. Um, and if that goal you know if their interest changes year to year, they can change clubs they can do something else. Um, we also have general interest clubs which do a little bit of different kinds of projects all throughout the year. so one of our biggest clubs in Hancock County is the Jolly Juniors um, in the Eastbrook Waltham area, and they explore lots of different projects all throughout the year, from woodworking to sewing gardening cooking so then that 's a cool way for the kids to sort of figure out what they're interested in or find their spark through something like that. Um, so, so it is pretty free and easy. <laughs> it really is.
0: How about location of various clubs? We're talking, uh, you're talking County, County Hancock, yep. you talk County, wide rather than village each particular town. Mm-hmm. So is there an issue with, um, transportation or can someone find, probably what they need within reasonable driving distance. Do you have a problem with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say transportation, and I think anyone who works in the community or works with youth is probably going to agree with me here is that transportation is the number one barrier to participation in youth programs. Um, And I think that's true for a lot of rural Maine. Um, So uh, I would say, you know, in Hancock County, and this is probably true for other counties too, is that we do have these different groups that may be held. They, they meet at a farm or someone's home, and that is in one town. So that's going to limit, you know, if you're across the county, it might be hard for you to participate in that club, even if that's what you're interested in. Um but we do try, and I would say that's kind of where our events and programs come in because we, we try, we consciously move those around the county in different geographic areas throughout the year So and from year to year. Um, the clubs are a little more set because of <clears throat> where the volunteers are located and where they meet, but we as a county program make extra effort to move those around to make those events and programs more accessible for youth. That's
0: constant, a constant problem.
1: Yeah, and I would say for people listening who are here, they can go on our website and we have a interactive map where they can see where our clubs are located um, in the county. And what they're which, doing. Yeah, which towns they are and what they're doing and what age group they're open to because not all clubs are 5 to 18. Some are just for younger kids. Some are for older kids um, and what, what their focus is, what their topic area is.
0: And if there's a, uh, an interest... In an area where there's no clubs, you can create a club.
1: You can create a club. And and I'll say, um, you know, at least here in Maine, this might be true for the 4-H program nationally, too, is that we're seeing a lot more interest in our short-term programs. And that's sort of why they became what they did. because. Uh, we see a lot of families being committed to lots of different things throughout the year. Sports is certainly something to consider, So, and that's seasonal. So we have families that may only be able to participate in 4-H during one season. And so therefore, these sort of seasonal short-term programs were were born because it's a way to better meet the needs of youth and families who are also committed to other things too. So we have a nice balance here in Maine, where we offer the traditional club programs and these short-term programs throughout the year.
0: So really nice. Mm-hmm. This is Dr. John Hunt for Let's Talk Animals from Ardvarks and Zebras on WERU, and we're talking to I'm talking to Carla Skoki from 4H, and uh, very very informative. It's amazing with 4H the flexibility you have. that's what is impressive to me. So let's uh, talk a little bit about when, where, who founded, especially this corn club boys and tomato club girls was, I, I found that in a reference. I gave you a heads up on that. So I gave you a chance yeah. to do some research yeah. <laughs> So, and the original, and so I remember the original um, objective was to make public school education more connected to rural life. And of course that has changed, but kind of give us a, History and talk about the Corn Club and yes. tomato. tomato.
1: So, like I mentioned, I'm going to preface this by saying I am not the 4-H history expert. They exist out there, though. So that is, but <laughs> I know, I know, it, I know enough to prove that I work for 4-H, and that's, that's about all, it. That's all I need. <laughs> um, but I, I want to. What you said is one of the things I love. Is you know the the original philosophy or goal of 4-H was to connect rural kids with their education and to make that connection. So for me, I look at that and I think that's the original place-based education, which is, you know, uh, one of those hot terms these days is place-based education. But 4-H was doing this, it started in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, And from what I understand, it was kind of a loose association, like maybe started in several different areas around the same time, but then people came together. Um, And the whole point was to, you know, give kids opportunities out of school to connect what they're learning in school to their immediate environment. So to their farm or to their life, to their everyday life, and to really build life skills that they need to succeed to become a farmer, which is what a lot of the rural kids did. They inherited their family's farm. So I just love this, that this is our founding philosophy, because I think a lot of that still rings true today, even though we're not only focused on agriculture anymore. You know, we're not only focused on rural youth. 4-H is everywhere. But the place-based education and the philosophy of gaining life skills um, that relate to school and to help a youth be resilient and and grow into um, an adult with, that can function in their world, whatever yeah. they choose that to be. I mean, that is still what we do today over 100 years later. So I just really love that. Um, and... Another thing that I think is, so you mentioned the corn club. So that is uh, sort of in 4-H lore, one of the first clubs that started. And it was started by a man who, I th- he may have been a teacher. That's what I remember. I think he was a school teacher, but he also was a farmer. And he wanted to try out, do different crop trials and try different ways of growing corn or different strains of corn. And so he said, let me get a group of kids together to just try out these different ways of growing corn in each of their backyards <laughs> and to me i again i read that and i'm like well science is at the beginning of for you know from the beginning of 4-h science stem all those things that we talk about today that we emphasize today that's in our rich history um and i just think that's that's so cool and those focus again on life skills and um and, and with the the corn club part of the beginning of 4-H, and especially when it went nationwide too, to the cooperative extension system was to help introduce new agricultural technologies to farmers. And the idea there was what better way to do that than to introduce it to the kids first. Um, And I think that that also still rings true today is that, and as we all know, (laughs) as demonstrated by our Zoom technology, (laughs) is that the kids are on the forefront of some of those technologies. And so, our role as adults is to help them learn in partnership with them. And that again was true from the very beginning of our history in 4 H, too. So I just think all that is very cool and um, very relevant to today's yeah. life.
0: So, what's the tomato club for girls? Is that the same concept? Was it a,
1: yeah, a farmer again, that
0: wanted to grow with different kinds of tomatoes kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think, um, again, I am not an expert, but I believe it was the same thing. It was just, um, you know, growing different types of crops in different ways, different strains. Um, And uh, when 4-H started, it was um, segregated by boys and girls, um, like so many things were at that time. Um, I don't have the exact year, but I do know that 4-H went co-ed way sooner than the women's rights movement i mean like this was like i think in my mind it's mid uh like 1920s maybe so it's pretty early on and um again 4-h was uh, as pretty forward thinking for that for that way so they were segregated by sex um in the beginning but then soon after became co-ed groups and also started expanding in different areas so again the it started as rural in rural areas, um, but today 4-H is just as vibrant in urban areas as it is in, in rural areas and nationwide and globally too. Um, 4-H happens in different countries as well. So um, it's just a really cool nod to our history because you would think over that amount of time that so much would change, but really the heart of 4-H is the same as, what, as it was when it started.
0: So you're saying the goals haven't changed. just the way of getting to the goals have changed.
1: Yeah, and what the kids are learning, too. I think that... Obviously,
0: that's going to be different.
1: Exactly. So that we've just expanded. And it can make it hard to explain what 4-H is, which is why I'm glad we had the opportunity at the beginning of this to talk about some of that. But because you can learn anything through 4-H, it makes it a little hard to describe. (laughs) But, um, But uh, you know, it's the idea of that place-based learning. What do you need to learn that is directly related to what you need in your environment right now or what you're interested in and to help you become a resilient adult.
0: You spoke so highly of your volunteers. (laughs) Uh, where do you get them? How do they, how do you, do you recruit? Uh, who are they? Um, how do you work with them? Cause you, you kind of, you're the coordinator. So how, how does that work? You must have, how many volunteers do you have? And
1: we, we have about 80 volunteers in Hancock County. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a large group. Um, I again, I can't say enough wonderful things about our group of volunteers. Um, So the way it works for 4-H volunteers, um, there's obviously an application process, um, a training process, and enrollment process. So um, that's to say we don't just sign anybody up. So (laughs) we're really looking for people who love to work with kids, who might have something to pass on, or can help facilitate a group of 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 kids, Um, and involved in all that is background checks as well. So, and this is one of the great things about being under the umbrella of the University of Maine is that we have a lot of protections for our volunteers. We can, we have a lot of protections for our youth. Youth, We can really ensure a safe program because we have the whole University of Maine behind us, right? So we can, we can do those things. Um, so the volunteers, I would say... I don't actually do a ton of active recruiting because, or if I do, it's because uh, we're making connections in the community. So I would say I do less of like, you know, putting an advertisement out. We're looking for 4-H volunteers and I do more of meeting people and making connections through, you know, local organizations or, um, local farms or people who know other people who would be great. So it is more of a word of mouth thing, which I think works really well because it allows us to place different people in these different areas and sort of make sure that we have a broad enough offering for the youth and what they're interested in here. Um, uh, But the volunteers, you know, we have, like I said, we have a pool of 80, but then we have a leadership group there uh, called the 4-H Leaders Association. And they're sort of the volunteers who really, they are the heart of Hancock County 4-H. So they help organize, plan, fundraise for all of our events and programs. And I work with them in partnership um, to do all of those things. Um, Another one of my roles is to just coordinate um, to support the volunteers. So what do they need? Do they need professional development? Um, Are there issues? Is there something that they want to learn about? Like, right now more recently it's how to connect with kids virtually right and so I can help connect them with resources at the university or my expertise in youth development um, and I help just support them in whatever that they need and different volunteers need different things so it keeps me on my toes for sure Um, but it's part of what I love about my role is being able to really tailor and help people on an individual basis um with their own development and, um, you know, volunteer work as well.
0: How are um, conflicts handled? There is bound to be difference of opinion from the children, the parents, the leaders, and someone is not happy. So how does that kind of thing get resolved?
1: Yeah, so that's another one of my roles is to – to serve as a mediator, I guess, so to speak. I will say we have a really wonderful group of youth, families, volunteers. We have had conflicts, um, but uh, everything has been has been able to be solved in a really pleasant manner, right? So these are not conflicts that are deal breakers by any means. So, um, so and 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 that's since I've been here. Um, I can't speak. Some of your listeners might have been in 4-H when they were kids. So I don't know what it was like then, but at least now we're a very functional group. Um, and, and that's one of my roles is to serve as a mediator and to help walk people through different processes of resolving conflict and things like that, um, which I really enjoy because I just like bringing people together. And that's ultimately what my role is as well.
0: So if someone's looking to be a leader, there isn't any qualifications other than whatever your expertise is
1: we do we have an application which includes an interview (laughs) process um and so we don't i guess to answer your question we don't have very strict qualifications but we are looking for certain things so um you know if we if there are red flags or anything like that showing up during the application process, um, then that person wouldn't follow through to enrollment. Um, And so that's for the safety of our program um, and the integrity of our programs too. But I would say for the most part, the people who go through the entire process and that's not, once you get through the process, you got to be dedicated just to get through it. So yeah, yeah. that's like a little self-selecting in and of itself, <laughs> but um, they are, they are dedicated and we usually place them and help them either start their own club or place them in a club or a program or something like that. So it is a little more targeted probably.
0: So someone could walk into your office and say, look, I'm, a, I'm a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. I would like to help kids with uh, pet nutrition. And you don't have any club like that. So I, we could just kind of create a club after I pass all the rigmarole.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what I usually do, if you, John Hunt, were to walk into my office and say, I say, Great. That sounds amazing. We don't have anything like that. Let's start with maybe a short-term program just to uh-huh. get everybody's feet wet, right? Um, and learn about 4-H and see if there's interest. So we'll train you and get you set up to do that. I might do it with you just to help onboard you and, and again, help you learn what 4-H is and sort of our way of doing things. Um, and then if that all works and you feel great, let's start a long-term club where you're enrolling kids for the year and responsible for their projects, things like that. So that's an example of a way that I would work with someone because it is a big commitment to start a club. Um, and, um, we don't discourage people from doing that, but I want to make sure that you're definitely ready for that. You know,
0: how do you get the news out through emails now? Basically you have a lot through,
1: a lot through emails, a lot through social media. Um, in our, when you once you are in the 4-H community, we actually send out a monthly newsletter. So that's our main form of communication with people, and that can be by email or it can be mailed. So it's up to the person when they enroll how they would like to receive those communications.
0: And where are you? Lo- where are you located? Uh, yeah, you actually have a, a building.
1: Yes, yeah, we are. So uh, we're in the Hancock County University Main Maine Cooperative Extension Office, which is on Boggy Brook Road in Ellsworth.
0: That's off of Route 1A as you're going to you yep, go into Bangor. Yep, off of
1: Bangor Road. Um, near Duncan the trans- transfer station. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where the fields are, uh, the okay. transfer station, we're in that sort of area. Dead Rivers over there, U Haul. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and what's, their, what's the, um, the purpose of that building? what's the building used for?
1: yeah that's a great question so the the building is owned by the Hancock County Extension Association which is a group of volunteers um, who support all of extensions programs which 4h is one part of so here in Hancock County we focus on two main areas. Uh, 4-H is one of them, and food security is another one. So um, that's sort of a larger umbrella for our Master Gardener Volunteer Program, our Nutrition Education Program, uh, where we have Eat Well volunteers who work in food pantries, um, and we do home horticulture stuff as well. So those are sort of the two areas where we do programming, but the Extension Office is there to exist for anybody who wants to connect with University of Maine Cooperative Extension. So that may be uh, for soil testing. That's a really popular uh, service that we offer. So people can pick up soil test kits. They can drop off soil test kits at our office. Um, They can also get a plant identified or a plant disease if they want to submit that to the lab. Um, And same with pests as well. So insects, things like that. Um, I would encourage people to just visit our website and see all the services we offer, but the, the building itself exists uh, as a local place to go to access those statewide services as well.
0: So when you go into the doors, there'll be different offices for all these different Things. It's just not so your 4 H is like down the hall into the right.
1: <laughs> yeah, we all work together too. So we're pretty small here in Hancock County, we're a small group. So uh, some of our programs, like I was talking about, kids can grow. So that's a great example of a program where it involves Master Gardener volunteers, um, nutrition, because the kids are learning about nutrition education and cooking meals, um, and they're donating to food pantries. So it's like youth. Gardening and nutrition all together in one. So we all work together. But when you walk into our building, we have a classroom space to the right. So we we can hold our programs in person okay. in there. Um, small outside events. groups can, yeah, small events. Outside groups can also reserve that room as well. Um, and then we, uh, to the left is our offices. Um, okay. Yeah.
0: We, I had a lot more to ask, but we're running. <laughs> out of time a little bit. So I want to get in your huge dramatic shift in how you do 4-H, at least for the next, probably hopefully just for next year uh, with the COVID-19 shutdown of everything. Tell us how, what happened, how that evolved and how are you adjusting? I read your newsletter. It's all about how you are providing uh, different kinds of, of services, but yet meeting the goals. So tell us a little bit what happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, thanks for asking this question. I think our staff and volunteers have really pivoted um, to reach youth during this time when they need 4-H the most, but we can't meet in person. So a couple of the ways we've been doing this, it's kind of divided into statewide category and then our local county category. So. And then actually one more on the club level because each volunteer club leader is being creative about ways to reach their own youth. Um, But on the statewide level, uh, we developed a brand new webpage called Learn at Home with 4-H. So people can Google that um, and they'll find it. But it is an extensive list of resources from uh, videos, you know, cooking videos, science videos, activities you can do at home with your kids, to written curriculum. Uh, we have teen science cafes. We have outdoor education um, through some of a program with our one of our 4-H camp and learning centers um, called Wednesday in the Woods. We have gardening videos. Um, and then again, a bunch of extensive resources Um, organized by grade level and by topic. So that's one area uh, on a statewide level that we've had. We're also putting together on a statewide level a summer learning series. So this is an opportunity for kids who would have shown animals at the fair. They would have um, put exhibits into the exhibit hall at the fair. This is a virtual way uh, with a mix of online and offline programs um, for kids to connect over the summer. Um, So that's coming. Actually, registration opens tomorrow for that. Um, And then our county, some of examples of how we've been doing things in the county. We're in the middle of uh, an at-home June Jamboree, which normally would be in person. But what we did was uh, 4-H staff, myself and my co-workers put together um, kits, uh, basically activities in a bag, and we delivered them to people's homes so they can Uh, do those activities outdoors, all the the theme is outdoors. So the idea was to get off the screen and to um, do those at home. And then we have a Facebook group where people are sharing photos. And that has been hugely popular. And um, I think people are really appreciating that.
0: That's a great Uh, idea.
1: Yeah, so I could go on and on. We have so many examples, but I know we're running out of time. Um, But
0: you're you're finding ways of, and the volunteers are, are on board, And you're finding ways of doing this without meeting.
1: Yep. And some of our club volunteers, so a couple ideas there. So one club did a roadside cleanup, but instead of getting all together, they just did their own area in front of their house or in their neighborhood, uh, wearing all PPE, of course. Um, And then another club is doing an art mural on the side of her barn where people are signing up to Go to the barn at different times so nobody's together. So really creative stuff. Trying to keep the kids connected while apart, Um, and positive youth development needs to continue. You know whether we're in person or not, and that's really the heart of our program. Is how do we continue our positive youth development work? And I think we've been really creative. It's been really fun um, to to try to reach kids and families.
0: So you think. Again, we're running out of time, but do you think the summer, probably the summer camp programs are going to be shifted into, they're going to be canceled and you're going to do this individual stuff? Is that
1: yeah, right sure? now. So for our camps, and that's, I know we're running out of time, so I won't spend it. but uh, our camps are exploring what might be able to be done in August. Right now, there are no in-person programs for June and July, but stay tuned. Anyone interested in 4-H camp, I just encourage you to stay Abreast, follow a Facebook page, follow the website because the the information is changing by the minute, as with everything else. And so, if we can do something safely, we can. So please stay in touch with us to figure out how and when we will do that.
0: Carla, this has been a great hour. It's been uh, just so informative. Uh, you're a good representative for 4-H. Uh, they should be happy to have you. And maybe you can come back. We could talk some more another time
1: i would love to yeah and if anybody has questions feel free to email me my last name is very hard to spell so i'm just going to say google hancock county cooperative extension you'll find our information there and please send me a question
0: thank you so much this is dr john hunt for let's talk animals from aardvarks zebras and remember enjoy your pet and don't forget to give them a hug